0: Uh so I've set I've set this podcast up as how to manage your maintenance providers.
1: Wow, how to manage your maintenance. How to merge your cats would be a probably be a better uh title, (laughs) wouldn't (laughs) it? Or how to push your water up a hill.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, something like that. How to shovel shit uphill. Um I don't know about you, but I feel like all the maintenance providers that are worth their salt are, are, are really busy at the minute, and it's almost like they're getting to pick work. That's how. Yeah, I do feel you know what? I, I got
1: told a really funny—well, not funny actually, not at all. I got told a really horrendous uh, story a, a few, a little while ago, actually, by a delegate on a course, and he said uh, uh, he ran, he, he texted me or WhatsApped me or whatever a few few weeks later, and said, uh, "Hey, Mike," he said, "You'll never believe this." He said, "I've just been sacked." By my maintenance provider I said what he said yes yeah. I think it was actually to be fair it was during the COVID kind of thing so he said yeah he said I've got a letter from my maintenance provider saying um basically <laughs> we don't want you anymore <laughs> um so yeah I think you're right I think it's a combination of. Um, them not being able to get enough staff, I think uh, a shortage of uh, fitters into the world, and uh, yeah, just plen- plenty of work, and I think they can pick and choose what they do. So I think we're probably coming at this from a point of view that we both had our feet in the camp, but maybe different sides. I think, yeah, yeah, definitely. I
0: think um, I think it's uh, I think it's really tricky for I, th- I think if we start with maintenance providers initially just sort of paint a picture, I guess, from their point of view. And that is the, the shortage of drivers is well documented, but what isn't so well documented is there's a real, there's a real shortage of skilled labor in the, in the, uh, maintenance market, you know, in the maintenance provider market. And I think that, that sort of bears, bears a real, real challenge. And I think it enables. So I think a lot of a lot of maintenance providers are focused on their margins. And I think they're focused on working with the people they want to work with, because actually it can be very tricky in a maintenance provider market to work with people who are late payers, because ultimately you've got to buy parts, you've got to buy the labour. Yeah. And then if you've got people who are bad payers, that's tricky. And it's a, it's a, it's a little bit like survival of the fittest because a maintenance provider is often keen to work with bigger operators because ultimately if they're working with smaller operators and smaller accounts teams it's much harder for them because whilst i think it you know whilst it may diversify their business more Actually, there's a lot of incentive in there for for them to work with bigger operators because it's just a lot leaner for them. It's a lot easier. They deal with one person for a whole range of vehicles. It's one accounts department, one big invoice. Um, You know, there's some real big benefits for them. So I think I think a lot of the time small operators are getting the short end of the stick.
1: Yeah, I mean that. That's I think essentially from that that anecdote there. You know, this this guy uh, he only has a few vehicles, and it was this a case of we are we've got to put our th- these meagre resources have got to go somewhere, and unfortunately they can't go with you, Mr. Small Operator. So, and I think you you make a good point there, Pete. About you know we, we have to look. I think we can can sometimes look at this from the point of view of an operator, and we're quite often. Uh, as operators left um, frustrated by our maintenance provider um, you know not not doing what they should be doing and uh, you know slow to respond and and Mm. long lead times etc but I think when you do look at the problem from the other side of the fence um, there are one or two other things we have to consider and you know I, I never really gave it much consideration in terms of margin but yeah I can imagine the margins must be You know, you know more about this than I do from being from that side of the fence. But yeah, the margins on um, on on that that kind of operation with the cost centers, the costs that are involved with labor and with I remember buying some uh, a dongle once for some MAN trucks. You know, some diagnostic two and a half grand. You know, some everybody's got to buy these this kit, and it's just so expensive. I, I think that's part of the problem. Not.
0: Yeah, I think I think the the overheads the over I, I'd love to run workshops uh, mm. as a as a as an independent. I'd love to start flagship flagship garages, mm. and uh, we'd be out there being uh, a golden maintenance provider for people. And I've had I've had my good mate Michael Ambrosio on the on the podcast uh, a half dozen things uh, from M M&M and N Vehicle Services in Peterborough, and he runs he runs a Sterling workshop, but he he can afford to be fussy over who he works mm. with. Um, but I think. It's not easy, it's not easy to be profitable as a workshop. It's not easy no. to be profitable. Uh, there's a lot of costs, You know, um, technicians are very expensive and it's very, yeah. very competitive marketplace for the best technicians. They're getting paid some really strong money. Well, I suppose that they could
1: go out driving if they, you know, the,
0: the, you know that's the... And that, that, that's exactly, that's exactly the issue. A lot of them have got licences, so a lot of them can mm-hmm. go out driving, which is an easier job. And I'm not, you know, sure. I, I might get lambasted. <laughs> yeah. it. Say yeah. again, sorry? Controversial. <laughs> a, bit, a little bit controversial, but I would argue, I'll put my hand on my chest, I think being a workshop technician, prepping vehicles for MOT, repairing, diagnosing... Carrying out maintenance, I think, is a tougher job than the majority of driving jobs. Yeah, I yeah. think it's a tougher job. Um, I think there's a, there's a lot more responsibility. I think there's a lot of responsibility on yeah, on, on, on yeah. maintenance technicians. And absolutely, when um, you know when drivers are getting paid, the money they're getting paid. What should what should maintenance uh, What should main, maintenance technicians be getting paid? It's it's a it's a very skilled job, and um, it's not it's not easy. So there's there's all those costs. There's the cost of running all the equipment and maintaining all the equipment in the workshop. Margins on parts and bits and pieces aren't really what they used to be. No. No. Um, so you know it's uh, it's it's a tricky gig. Much like running an HTV operation, it's a, it's a tricky gig, and you, they've got to be selective over who they work with. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think that will. Um, you know, it's going to, it's going to be, be a challenge for, I think, I think the issue is for smaller operators is that they don't have much leverage. I was writing an article on this very subject, which is one of the reasons I suggested it. I was writing an article on this very subject this weekend. And I think one of the issues is, is that smaller operators just won't have the leverage with a, with a maintenance provider to get the level of service they need. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of a tricky, a tricky situation to be in because all of the onus and all of the responsibility for the upkeep and maintenance of a fleet and the standard of maintenance is on the transport manager and on the operator. The the duty of care is, is theirs um, and not the maintenance provider. So to an extent, maintenance providers, if they're, if they're swamped with work and go, well, you like it or lump it off you go. Yeah, Yeah. It's literally, you know, well, suck it up, but a couple go and pick somewhere else to go. And, um, that leaves that leaves operators in a bit of a bit of a sticky
1: bit of a yeah, a bit of a queer queer pitch. So, as as a as an operator, then Pete, how, how would it be? How would how would a a smallish small operator how would they best place or be placed to to start those negotiations or start that chat off with a potential maintenance provider? What what sort of questions should they be asking people?
0: Yeah, so the, the, there's lots of things that um, when when I was sort of writing the article, I was thinking about. What uh you know, how how to start the ball rolling, and certainly the, the the straightforward ones when selecting a maintenance provider is an operator wants to be looking for qualified qualified technicians. Uh, so, what level are they qualified to? MVK, MVQ level three or above in in um, every vehicle maintenance? Are they air tech, and do they maintain their air tech? So that's a five yearly a five yearly cycle to ensure that people are sort of kept up to date um what's the capability um from you know if it's an independent workshop what's their capability with regards to diagnosis of the more modern yeah. vehicles are they able to sort of uh, diagnose yeah. faults and, yeah. and 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 sort of do those and then and then it's on to like how do they maintain their equipment how do they operate so um you know uh, is the other brake testers calibrated are the headlight testers calibrated um Know how um, when when is their capacity because this is this is one of the things sort of when, when I chat to Michael you, you know I say to him oh I might have you know I might have a potential customer for you and he's like oh well when are they looking to have their vehicle service because the 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 workshop space at a weekend. Or on a Friday night is at a premium because that's when everyone wants it. The demand's yeah. really high. Whereas actually during the weekdays and things like that, if people can work with that, um, the the demand's reduced. So, um, but yeah, it's it's kind of have we are we compatible in the way are we compatible as an operator and as a maintenance provider in the timing and the scheduling of when we need uh, work to be carried out. Big question: How do you manage your MOTs? How important is MOT first time pass rate to you? how do you manage those do you have your own tachograph calibration center if not who do you use um how do you know the people that are doing it are qualified there's there's a myriad of questions and then and then that's without you know we were talking about this the other day as part of the fleet geeks um peer to peer group the next set of questions is around sorting out a service level agreement as well yeah Yeah. So, Uh, do you think I've covered everything that you? Yeah, I
1: mean, that's fairly comprehensive, isn't it? Yeah, it it is, and I think those are the questions that you should be asking. But I guess my challenge would be, uh, you know, how does a non-technical person, which you know, let's face it, a transport manager doesn't have to be uh, to be a good transport manager. You don't have to be. You know, we've had this discussion many times about uh, and on this on this very podcast about. You know, does a transport manager have to be a driver? You can say transport manager has got to be a driver you could could argue that a transport manager would have to be a fitter as well as well as an accountant as well as all the other many other things so
0: hi it's Pete from flagship partners we're really proud to sponsor the fleet geeks podcast flagship partners offer a range of consultancy and training services to ensure that our customers remain compliant and have the best possible knowledge to be able to fulfill their work If you're interested in support with any of our safety, HR or compliance services, or you want to train to be a transport manager or need driver CPC training, give us a call today.
1: And non, you know, there are many good transport managers out there that are non-technical. How how should they approach um, the conversation? I suppose that's a, you know, uh, another conversation for another day in terms of um, I suppose it comes to it down to confidence and down to communication skills. But how should it they is, approach that? Yeah, is.
0: And, and, and that's that's a, that's a really good question. I think that it's um, that that needs some reflected on for for transport managers who are who haven't got the the technical expertise of uh, understanding how a workshop works or uh, what what maintenance uh, is carried out. Because I, I guess you could even go back to the question of like. What what does your six-weekly inspection look like? What items are you checking? Because essentially that's negotiable as well. Um you know, don't don't automatically what I'd say to transport managers, don't automatically accept what they what um maintenance provider suggests is a six-weekly check. It's a bit like a daily walk-around check. You 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 dictate what should be on that daily walk around check in the same way mm. that you need to ensure that the six-weekly inspection is carried out thoroughly. Um but yeah, so how how does someone who's not technical uh, approach these conversations? I imagine it's pretty daunting, actually. I imagine yeah. I imagine it's pretty daunting, and I imagine they feel like equivalent to little old Dot who's got her uh, mini metro that hasn't, you know, that that uh, has no idea from one end of the vehicle to another. That all. Um, uh, take it in and get told that she's got some rust patches and she needs some tartan paint you know <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah yeah I mean or, or, or oh no your, your reach around's broken or, or whatever yeah. um yeah. and we need to get it fixed um it's tricky isn't it right yeah. and then and then you've got to like own the show haven't you you've got to um you know when it comes to like defect management and defect rectification you've got to know what's a safety related defect and what isn't and uh, this that you've i tell you what you've got to be able to trust your maintenance provider particularly if you haven't if you're not technical that you've got a lot of you know you've got to be able to manage that relationship properly i,
1: I yeah and i guess uh, you know i guess it, it one one of the offshoots of it being a very busy kind of place at the moment is that um you know you're not going to get so much um uh, maintenance providers inventing work because they just haven't got the capacity to do that invented work anyway so uh it's the same with plumbers you know you know when a plumber comes around now it's so difficult to get a plumber actually i i kind of think well they're not going to invent stuff and they're just going to fix what they need to fix and get on to the next job because they haven't got time to mess about you know inventing jobs that need doing um so there's that element to it but you know there is that that sort of mysterious mystique but you're absolutely right i mean six six weekly nobody has to do six weeks, you don't have to do six weekly inspections eight weeks ten weeks whatever couldn't they but it it, uh, it must be so in terms of a service level agreement mp what what kind of things should be people be looking for in terms of a, a service level agreement how demanding can they be in the current market and well,
0: and and this is exactly the point I, it, it's really a case of don't necessarily listen to to Pete on the Fleet Geeks podcast because you can push your luck as much as you can push your luck. And I think it will depend on the relationship you can build with the maintenance provider and what their position is and what your position is. But ultimately with the service level agreement, you want to be looking at these are the things that are going to be inspected six weekly or 12 weekly or, or whatever. Um, you know, the, the, you, the, the charge rate is going to be this, um, how they agree what hours they're going to charge. Is it going to be based on the hours that the technician takes? Or is it going to be based on some kind of um, timed amount that um, the manufacturer says it should take to do a job? Yeah. Because often how long, and, and and I suppose this is something for um, uh, people who who haven't really got the, the workshop knowledge, is that essentially every job, whether you replace a filter or whether you uh, change brake linings or, or what have you, um, calipers, it's all got it's all got a time that's set by the manufacturer. The, the manufacturer will say, right, these brake relines are two hours work or you know brake calipers four hours. But is the workshop going to charge you what the manufacturer says the time is or is it's it going to be the time? The time? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and one technician might be able to do that job in three hours and another one it might take a whole day. Um so how how do you know what the what, what that's going to be and what the charge rate's going to be so that's that's certainly one of the service level Uh, discussions another would be around how long do they want the vehicles to prepare for mot um so and then what is the process around the mot do they book it in do you book it in do they take it for you do do you take it um are they going to make sure that the tachograph never runs out so you know the when it comes to calibration are they looking to make sure that it, it gets recalibrated within the six weeks or are you going to run it till the last day whether that's when it's in for inspection or not um you know there, there, there's lots of things around that parts um, a, a good example is what's the automatic sign-off for spend on on defect repairs yeah so for example yeah. you know it, it it really works well to say particularly if you have overnight servicing um it's good to be able to say right if we've got a safety related defect you're authorized up to i don't know 500 quid yeah. anything over and above 500 quid you need to get some level of authorization for uh, but up to that I'm happy for you to I'm happy for you to have an open chequebook um it's it's those it's those kinds of agreements because the less friction, the, the the more trust you can have, and the less friction, the easier the relationship's going to be. As long as yes. there, there is trust and the less friction. Um, but as long as you know the, the, the workshop technicians have got to know, uh, got to know what the agreement is. And what um, the one of the big ones, you know, having spoken to uh, having the conversation we had last week with the peer tier group, you know, how quickly are we going to get the service documentation? That's how acute, quickly, isn't it? yeah? You know, how how quickly are we going to see that service documentation? Because I tell you what, it ain't no good it coming three weeks later in the nope. post.
1: Nope. <laughs> and it's no good telling the DVSA when they come visiting for a uh, an inspection, a visit that, that the um you know it is in the uh, where's where's all what well, your maintenance is good apart from there's some missing records. Where are they? Oh, they're in the post. You know we haven't gotten back from the from the maintenance provider yet. So uh, you know, absolutely. You uh, but again, I think this is all. Really gives some value to that um, other skill that a transport manager's got to have in terms of um, influencing uh, communication. Um, you know, we, we, we're not maybe going to negotiate the best deal, you know, right down to the last pound, shilling, and pence with a maintenance provider. But given the given that the importance of finding a good maintenance provider, I think the skill in negotiation doesn't come down to how much you can wring out of them. It comes down to how how efficiently can can that operation work and you you mentioned there about the nighttime and the weekends you know if you can get i have done this before and I've done this practically where we've kept a, a spare vehicle uh, rather than run it to the wire we've kept a spare vehicle because it was just so much cheaper to get the stuff serviced during the week so um you know that, that's something people really do need to consider because if you're running it to the wire and you need your vehicle serviced at the weekends or in the evenings then you're going to pay a lot more for your, for your maintenance.
0: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. And, all, and also, you know, is the part of the SLA agreement, it, it absolutely like you say is when, when are you going to pull my vehicle out of the workshop that you're working on to prioritize one of your more important customers? When does, when does that going to happen and who are the customers? Because they're, they're the things that they, they go on. <laughs> Those mm-hmm. things go on at the sharp end. Um, you know, the, and it's really how much of a priority is your is your work. And like you say, there, there is a massive saving to be negotiated potentially, if you can fit in around where the capacity is, because you're, you're you're kind of in that sweet spot. And the negotiation, like you say, is far more complex than going, right, the hourly rate is going to be £100 an hour or £45 an hour, which I think is what, I think a lot of the time, that's what the conversation is going to be, right? You're going to service these vehicles and we're going to pay... 45 pound an hour or 100 pound an hour if you the thing is is the workshop if you essentially they have what's called a recovery rate which is the average the average hourly rate that they recover from a job and that that recovery rate isn't just what the hourly rate is charged to the mm-hmm. client it's also how efficient the technicians are at carrying out the job yeah. and ultimately that 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 workshop are going to have a target recovery rate and if you negotiate under what that recovery rate is going to be, all they're going to do is start bumping the hours up on your yeah. job yeah. To, to, to make the number they want. So I think, I think probably the food for thought for people is don't necessarily focus on what that hourly rate is obviously yeah. have a negotiation, but actually there's, there's a lot more stuff to it. Isn't there? There's a lot yeah, more absolutely. stuff and, and give and take and negotiation and influence
1: and that kind of thing. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a complex negotiation. Massive subject I think you know we've probably not going to do it justice in the time that we've given uh, for this podcast and, and there's like all these podcasts so far we, we start off with a subject and we think what we're we going to do with that and then you realize how in-depth it is and okay. and uh, having negotiated a contract with a you know with a with a maintenance provider myself um, uh, and being quite pleased with the outcome it, it is it is you know, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye we've got to think about parts and we've got to think about you know um, what kind of deal are we going to do with a you know with the parts are we are we happy to just take whatever they say or are we going to have an open book with its plus 15 10 percent whatever it is for them for, for the parts there's just so much in in that and again by negotiating a better deal that way um, you're, you're I think you're probably by being over jet or more generous with your parts you um, Budget, you're gonna you're gonna save money elsewhere because that's they can see being squeezed. You know they don't want to be squeezed in both directions. They don't mind being squeezed in one direction, but they don't want to be squeezed in both directions. So absolutely, what a it's massive.
0: Got to work. It's got like with anything. It's got to work for both parties, doesn't it? Otherwise, the service is going to falter. And yeah. I think and I think um I think one one of the little bits of advice just whilst I think about it is be be the operator. Be the operator that the maintenance provider want to do business with. Do business I. with. I yeah i.e have be that vehicle that gets parked in their yard that actually they can gloat about the customer base they've got to their other customers or helps them win business if you're that exemplary operator whose vehicles look beautiful all the time and you know that that essentially people will be proud to do business with you that that's the way to get the best service yeah i would say
1: as, as we know and you know as we know um you know people buy from people and i think everybody understands the the the, uh, the, the, the rationale behind that that if you make a good relationship with somebody that you, you can it's easier to, for, to sell to them but i think if you look at it from the other side of the coin it's something that helped me in good stead when I was working for the local authority lots of people don't like dealing with local authorities um, yes it's a good they're good payers there's no two ways about that they'll get the money in 14 days in most cases but People don't like the red tape, and but I I found that um, people would sell to people. And if you, if you, you know, it's not just a question of people buying from people, it's people selling to people. And if you can make yourself attractive as a customer, (laughs) then I think you're going to get a better deal at the end of the day. That sounds a bit counterintuitive to those people who think they're hard, sharp negotiators, but at the end of the day, uh, we're in a market where. We, we we need to be on top of that, aren't we? That's the thing. Yeah, it's, it's 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 a very
0: complex marketplace. I think uh, I think it's a very complex marketplace. So yeah, should we should
1: we sign that one off there, mate? I think, I think so, but I think we will hopefully no, no, no. let's get to, you know hopefully people will come back to us with this and give us your thoughts, give us your experiences. Um, it's it's fascinating, and you know we we always say that we never uh, we never turn these into sales pitches, but nevertheless, um, you know I think um. Uh, certainly, it's something that somebody who was inexperienced in this area would certainly do you know, a great deal of good for themselves if they invested a little bit of time and effort and, and maybe even their hard-earned in uh, in speaking to us if if they need to or somebody like us if if they need that. Absolutely,
0: absolutely, fantastic, Mike. Thank you very much, mate, and um, we'll uh, see you on the next one, everyone. Hope you enjoyed time. it, and please do share it. Yeah, see you in a bit. Cheers, guys. Bye, bye.